We know that anything good that has come in our lives has come because you loved us and you wanted us to be in a relationship with you. God, I pray that you would help our hearts to see the beauty of your love again today and that our hearts would be committed afresh to you. Please fill us with the Holy Spirit. As you filled your believers thousands of years ago, uh, that, that first Pentecost Sunday, uh, as you've been filling your children with the Holy Spirit ever since then, God, we pray again that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit to help us hear your word and apply it to our lives however you want us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like to start off my sermon by saying something I don't usually say. Happy Pentecost! Um, there are some people in my family, I, I won't say her name right now, but she's my wife, um, who says that uh, we often... She'd like to have more church calendar. You know, some, some of you probably grew up celebrating all sorts of different things throughout the church calendar. And I guess we kind of mostly just celebrate Christmas and Easter here. But did you know that today is Pentecost Sunday? And we don't always mention it here. Uh, do you know what Pentecost is? It's 50 days from Easter. So Penta, there, there, you got the, the root for five in there. 50 days from Easter. It's really e- easy to figure out this year. Easter was on April 1st. So you count Easter Sunday... And then since there's 30 days in April, now we're at day 20 in May, there you go, you've got 50 days since Easter, so today is Pentecost Sunday. Do you remember what happened that first Pentecost after Jesus was crucified and was raised again from the dead? Well, it's one of the more stunning chapters in the Bible in Acts 2. Now before Acts 2, the followers of Jesus were waiting And they were probably wondering what would happen next. Jesus told them to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit would come on them. Well, in Acts 2, their wait was over. God moved powerfully. So in Acts 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And I want to read for you the next three verses, starting in Acts 2, 2. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Then, empowered by the Holy Spirit, they proclaimed the gospel message. And then starting in verse 14, Peter, the apostle, stood up and he addressed the crowd. And he proclaimed the gospel message. He spoke of how Jesus was killed, but how he was raised again. Because it says in verse 24, it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. I love that verse. Death couldn't keep our Savior Death can't keep us either if we are in Christ. Peter explained that what happened there to Jesus was for the forgiveness of our sins. Again, he was proclaiming the gospel message. Let me just point out a few other verses in Acts 2 as Peter was proclaiming the gospel. He said in verse 21, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now for those of you who have been at Cornerstone for a while, you've heard me say this before, but I'll say it again. When we hear the name Lord, there are two things that we should know about it. Number one, it's the name for God. So it's pretty interesting. As you're reading your Old Testament and you see the name Lord, you can pretty much rightly assume it's talking about God the Father, but then something interesting happens in the New Testament. That same name for God is used in the New Testament, and it's used of God the Father, but it's also used of Jesus Christ. So there's something powerful, something unique about Jesus. He is named with the very name of God. We believe in the Trinity here. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all working so closely together. They are so unified that they are one God. Three persons, but one God. 
And, and what Peter is saying here is that if you call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. So Lord is a name for God, but then Lord also means master. That's what this word literally means here. When, when Peter uses this word, he picked a word that, 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 that defines how Jesus Christ is our master. He is our owner, and we are to belong to him. So to come to Jesus means that we give up any, any notion that we had of directing our own life. We give our lives fully to Jesus. And what does he give us in return? He gives us the new life, and he fills us with the Holy Spirit. And that's what Peter mentioned as well later on in, in Acts 2, that Jesus now pours out the Holy Spirit on those who believe. But the idea is that we are to receive and we are to give our lives fully to him. So here's my big idea for today. Jesus is Lord. We should be fully devoted to him. Think about that. To enter into a relationship with God, we are to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord. Again, Lord is the name for God, and it also means Master. If we are to receive Him as our Lord and our Master, what does that mean about the rest of our lives? It means that everything about us should be given over fully to Him. So again, that's my big idea. Jesus is Lord. We should be fully devoted to Him. Now again, Peter went on in his sermon. He went on to talk about how they should receive Jesus. Um, and in verse 37, it's pretty interesting. The people were cut to the heart when they heard Peter preach. And they even said, what shall we do? It was this powerful movement of God, and the people were so struck by it that they just had to know, what do we do in response to this? And Peter replied in verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, in case you're wondering just how powerful this was, it goes on to say in the next verses that about 3,000 people responded to the message that day. 3,000 people. They started off as a group of about 120, and 3,000 were added to their number that day. So let me say two things so far about Acts 2. Number one, wow. What a, can you imagine being there? The, the Holy Spirit breaks in, tongues of fire, different languages, messages preached, which maybe that doesn't seem all that powerful, but the response was 3,000 people added to their number. God was clearly moving that day. And then the second thing I would like to say about Acts 2 is, can you imagine the logistical nightmare of that? So think of us. What if, what if we at Cornerstone Church, we show up on a regular Sunday, oh, it's Pentecost Sunday today, what if 3,000 people wanted to join us? Can you imagine what we would have to do? Well, that's what the early church had to figure out. What do we do with all these people now who are, who are following Jesus? How do we help them walk with Jesus? Now, truthfully, that's a question that we should always be asking. Whether 3,000 people are added to our number in one day, or whether it's just a, a small growth that we see, or whether it's no growth in numbers at all, we should always be asking, how can we help people grow in their walk with Jesus? Well, thankfully, we're told what these followers of Jesus did in Acts 2. So what I want to do for the next part of my sermon, uh, most of my sermon here, I want to walk through Acts 2, 42 through 47, and explains to us what these followers of Jesus Christ did. They had committed their lives to Jesus. They wanted to follow him. And now we get this picture of what it looked like. And by the way, excuse me, <coughs> the point in looking at this is not that we would do things exactly the way that they did them. They lived in Jerusalem, for example. I'm not suggesting that we all need to move to Jerusalem. Um, 
but what I am suggesting is that we should look at the pattern of what their lives look like and learn from their pattern. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, I want us to listen to what God would say to us about what our lives should look like as we continue to follow Jesus. So let's learn from their example. Again, the big idea here is that Jesus is Lord and we should be fully devoted to him. And we're going to try to figure out a little bit of what that looks like here today. So I want to read Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, right away, I want to point out a key word in this passage. It's the word devoted. It shows up right there. It's easy to see in verse 42 where it says they devoted themselves. Then it gives a list of things that they were devoted to. But this word devoted also shows up, the Greek word for it also shows up in verse 46. And it's just more difficult to translate there, so most translations don't use the same word. But it's behind that word continued, where it says every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Now, this word devoted, it's a pretty easy word to understand. It, it means commitment. You, you could talk about how you single-heartedly move in the direction of, of something that you're pursuing. Let me use an illustration about the word devoted. I thought about somebody that you'll probably recognize here. This is Michael Phelps, the Olympic swimmer. When I, I, I was trying to use an analogy of somebody who was devoted to their craft, and Michael Phelps, his, his training and his eating schedule, uh, you would look at them, and if you were to see him in a time when he was during his intense training, you would say, wow, that is a person that is devoted to swimming. So let me just um, read for you a little bit about what his, his week would look like. So six days a week he would train, and he would swim eight miles per day. Now that seems like a lot of swimming to me. And, and you think about it, he was a sprinter. So I don't think that he was just out, you know, putting his hands behind his head and just kind of kicking his legs. I think he was, he was actively pursuing his training of swimming. He was working really hard just at the swimming part. And then also outside of the pool, he worked with weights and he did push-ups and pull-ups as well. And then famously, he ate 12,000 calories per day. Now, some of you might say, sweet, I would love to do that. <laughs> Although I've heard from people who do that. They say that eating becomes a chore. He, he had to take in this many calories. With all the physical training that he was doing, he had to replenish his body with all these calories. So let me read for you what one of his breakfasts, this, so this would be a typical breakfast. This is just one of his three meals per day. He would eat three fried egg and cheese sandwiches with lettuce, tomatoes, fried onions, and mayonnaise. Mayonnaise for breakfast, you've got to have it, right? Um, <laughs> Two cups of coffee. Okay, some of us could probably handle that part of it, the two cups of coffee. A five-egg omelet, a bowl of grits, three slices of French toast, and three chocolate chip pancakes. Can you imagine making yourself eat all of that every day and then going out and swimming and then having a huge lunch and then swim again and then a huge supper? If you were to look at Michael Phelps during those days, you would say he is devoted to what he is doing. Now, with that as an illustration, I want to remind you of my big idea for today. Jesus is Lord. We should be fully devoted to him. In the Old Testament, there's this phrase where every once in a while it says that a person walked with the Lord with 
wholehearted devotion. It was sometimes a prayer that would get prayed for somebody. I pray, I think David prayed it for his son Solomon, prayed it. He would walk with the Lord with wholehearted devotion. Are you devoted to Jesus? And if so, what would that look like? Again, I go back to Michael Phelps, and if you were to, to watch him during his times of training, you would say, that person is devoted to swimming. What about you? Would people look at you and say, that person is devoted to walking with Jesus Christ? If we are truly devoted to Jesus as Lord, it should show up in the way that we live. And here's where the early church set a good example. In that passage that I just read, we see a bunch of things that the early church was devoted to. And we were so impressed by these things that we saw in Acts 2, 42-47 at Cornerstone Church that, that we crafted our core values statement based off of what they did here. So we have a core values statement that has six things on it, and each one of them comes from this passage. So what I want to do now is I want to walk through this passage. I want to point out those six things, and, and I'll do them in order of our core values. But I just want you to know, our core values come from this. So it, it, we're not trying to impose ourselves on this. What we're trying to do is look at this and say, what should our lives look like? So I want to walk through these, these six things now that we see the early church was devoted to and things that we want to be devoted to as well. So number one is worship. In verse 47, it says that the early church was praising God. Now, when I talk about worship, I like to think of it in two ways. Number one, it's an all-encompassing sort of term. It's an umbrella term that describes everything that we should be doing in our lives for God. It means that in anything we do, we should be worshiping God. It's like Romans 12.1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So at every moment of our lives, it's like the, the illustration here is that our bodies should be offered at the altar of God to say, my life is for your purposes, whatever you want for me, God, whether that's at home or school, at work, or in my free time, everything about me, God, is given over to you. That's our spiritual act of worship, that we live our lives to worship God in all that we do. Now, on the other hand, I also think that worship should be an intentional act, something that, that shows up in our schedule. So that's why you go back to Acts 2.47, the early church was praising God. They met together, and one of the things that they did is that they praised. And, and I'm guessing that meant that they, they would sing songs, as well as they would share with each other about what God was doing in their lives. And that's what I want us to do as well. I, I don't want us just to say, well, everything that I do is worship. I, I want us to do that. I also want us to put time in our schedule to say, this is when I worship God. That's why when we gather here on Sunday mornings, we sing songs. And we gather again on Sunday evenings, and we sing songs again. Uh, and throughout our week, I hope that praising God shows up in our schedule. If we truly recognize how good of a gift God has given to us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we would often stop to praise God. So, the question here is your devotion to Jesus overflowing in praise to God? Okay, number two, prayer. Specifically in verse 42, it says that the early church devoted themselves, uh, I believe it says here, uh, it says to prayer, but literally it says to the prayers. To the prayers. Now, if you know a little bit about Jewish history, you know that they would have set times of day when they would pray. You think about Daniel in the Old Testament. He would set aside three times a day for prayer. 
So I think that one of the things that this early church was doing is that they were using those times of prayer to gather together and, and pray. Um, in the New Testament, we're actually the, the command to pray is upped. It's not just three times a day like Daniel. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul said that we are to pray continually. So prayer, just like worship, should be a throughout our day sort of experience where we are constantly talking to God about the stuff of our lives that we're, we're praising him, we're asking for his help and his strength, we're asking that he would give us wisdom, we're listening to him. So how is your prayer life? Are you showing your devotion to God in regular prayer? Are you showing your devotion to God in throughout your day sort of a prayer? Let's talk regularly with God, let's listen to him as well. Then number three, the word in verse 42, it says that the early church was devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, what were the apostles' teaching? Well, we have an example of it right here in Acts 2. Peter gave a sermon, and what did he teach about? Well, number one, he used Old Testament scripture. At least three places in there, he was quoting Old Testament scripture and explaining it. And then number two, Peter told about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that, that's what the apostles were teaching, and throughout the rest of their lives they continued to teach, and they wrote down some of their teachings such that we now have those teachings in the New Testament. So as we think about what it means for us to follow this pattern of being devoted to the apostles' teaching, we should be devoted to the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We should continually be studying those things and putting ourselves in an environment where we will, we will hear the truth of God because God will change us as we humbly submit to his word. God will change us. The Bible teaches us who God is, who we are, and how we should live our lives. Now, I remember as a young Christian being challenged to read God's word daily. Now, in hindsight, I, I could see a person getting challenged to read the Word of God daily and, and thinking, oh boy, what a burden. But that wasn't how it came across to me. When I, when I first understood the gospel message of Jesus Christ, and soon after that had people challenge me to read from God's Word every day, do you know what the thoughts that were running through my, my mind were? Well, of course. If this is the Word of God, of course I should spend my time, I should spend my life getting to know it. And over those last 25 or 26 years since I received that challenge, I have become more and more convinced that the Bible is the Word of God, and I am even more convinced of the value of being in it daily. So how is your commitment to the Word of God? In Matthew 4.4, 4, Jesus said, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Physically speaking, when we don't eat for a while, we get hungry. It's our body's way of telling us that we need food. What's your soul saying to you about God's word? And what's God saying to you is probably the more important question that we should be asking. And what God says to us is that we are to feast on his word. That his word is like food to us and we are to live on it. So again, how is your commitment level to God's word? We could go back to Michael Phelps and say, what were the things that he did to show his commitment, his devotion to swimming? We could look at us and say, what are the things that we're doing to show our commitment to knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and to continuing to walk with him? And I think that God's word should be a big part of that. So I just want to, I want to encourage you and challenge you to feast on God's word. Not just here on Sunday mornings, but throughout our week, finding places to, to meet quietly with God in his word, 
finding places to talk with other believers about God's word. I even like to think it's my, the way that I intake God's word isn't just that one time a day where I sit quietly and read his word. It's other parts of the day as well where I find room for scripture to come in. I just want to challenge you with that, to feast on God's word. Number four, fellowship. One of the most striking things about Acts 2, 42-47 is the way that these Christians lived together. It says in verse 42 that they were devoted to the fellowship. And then the rest of the passage describes a vibrant community of what they did together. They were devoted to fellowship. Now, the opposite of being devoted to something would be what? To, to give up on something, right? Look what Hebrews 10.25 says. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Do you get that? Some people are in the habit of not meeting together. Some people get in the habit of saying, well, I know God, I love him, uh, I just don't necessarily like being around his other children, or I, I don't need to go to church, it can just be me and God, we can do that. And you know what? Um, I think some Christians are like, preparing themselves for a time when they're on a deserted island and there's nobody else around. Well, guess what? That almost happens to nobody anymore. So don't prepare yourself for the desert island Christian experience. I would like to think that if it happened to me, I would survive spiritually. But guess what? You're probably going to spend the rest of your life around people, and that means that we should be devoted to Christian fellowship. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more all the more as you see the day approaching. We're commanded to do this life together. So let's pursue this kind of Christian fellowship and unity. It's something that we should be devoted to. You see, Christian fellowship isn't just a side benefit if, if other things are going well in your life that God adds it on there. Christian fellowship is meant to be part and parcel of what we do here as we are devoted to Jesus. It's something that we are to pursue actively. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're supposed to help each other in our walk with God. And I know sometimes that brothers and sisters don't get along very well. But I think of my, my friend, Brian Perone. He's a, a friend from seminary. He's now the superintendent of our district here in our denomination. Uh, but when I met him, he had a, a young son and a young daughter. And, and they wouldn't always get along. And I remember what, what Brian would say to his son and his daughter. He would look at them and say, uh, son, daughter, your, your sister, your brother, they are going to be one of the best friends that you have for the rest of your life. Now act like it. Now think about that in regard to our Christian fellowship. Or let's look at it this way. In heaven, do you know that it's not just going to be you and God? It's going to be you and God and all of God's children together. Even, now this might be a little uncomfortable, even that person that you don't get along with. So I, I just want you to think, is there a Christian right now that you're not getting along with? And I want you to think about you being in heaven with that person. And God loves you and God loves that other person. And in heaven, it's going to be restored. Praise the Lord. The stuff that gets in the way of our relationships here is going to be taken away. And let's just all say amen to that. And read a sigh of relief. But now, I want to get a little uncomfortable again. What did Jesus teach us to pray in the Lord's Prayer? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How is it in heaven? Perfect unity. How is it on earth? Not always like that. So what do we do? We pray for that to happen here. And if you find yourself having disunity with a brother or a sister in Christ here, where has that come from? It's come from our enemy who would love nothing more than to steal and kill and destroy. And one of the ways that he attacks us in churches is through our fellowship, 
through our unity. He wants us to have disunity. So please know, if there's anybody here, anybody in our congregation that you're not getting along with, that that has not come from God. And I want you, I'm going to urge you to do your part, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Let's be devoted to Christian fellowship. Let's be active in it. And let's, let's pursue it. Let's put ourselves around other people to encourage each other, to spur each other on, and all the more as we see the day approaching. Number five is evangelism. In verse 47 it says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Throughout the rest of the book of Acts, we continue to see phrases like this, that as the church lived their lives together, as the people proclaimed the gospel message, that God added to their number those who were being saved. And now that the Holy Spirit has come to us, and by the way, we, it's different for us. Those, those first disciples, they were told by Jesus to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. But when the Holy Spirit came, it, it ushered in a new season in, in God's way of looking at things, a new way of life in which we now receive Jesus when, or excuse me, we receive the Holy Spirit when we receive Jesus. So if you've received Jesus, you have received the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean that you're automatically always filled every moment with the Holy Spirit because we are to submit our wills constantly to the Holy Spirit. But what's happened for us who have received Jesus is that we have the same power who is at work in them. As Peter was proclaiming the gospel message, the Holy Spirit was doing his work in the hearts and the minds of the people who heard, and that still happens today. So we are to go with the gospel message. We are to offer ourselves to God and say, God, would you open the doors? Would you give me the words to say? And then let us boldly proclaim the gospel message to people. And let's see what God will do because it is life and salvation for anyone who would receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And, and I love how evangelism happened here in Acts 2. First, Peter proclaimed the words of the gospel and people believed, but then the, the church just lived their life. And it says that, that people took note of what was happening in the church and other people came and joined them. And that's what I want to happen here as well. Yes, I want us to proclaim the gospel with our words, but I want us then to shine our light so brightly that people would look at us and say, I want what they have. And, and what that means for us, practically speaking, the way that we can do evangelism is that we can invite people along with us. We have something that the world wants. We have community. Now, there are some people who, as a response to the broken community that they've had in their lives before, they kind of shut themselves off. <coughs> but most people want community, and we have it. So let's, let's invite people to come with us to church. Let's invite people out to lunch and just talk about life. And as we're talking about life, we talk about the important stuff of life. We talk about God. So invite people to come along with you. Don't be afraid. Tell God that you'll join with him Look for those doors that he opens and, and let's engage in evangelism. And number six, service. This one jumps out at you as you read Acts 2, especially verses 44 to 45. It says, All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. As we see the needs of people around us, let us not turn a blind eye. I've been reading through the book of Proverbs. We're going to do a Proverbs sermon series next. That's the plan. Um, there's some powerful verses in there about how we treat the poor. Here's one of them, Proverbs 19:17. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. Sometimes we think of the poor as a burden, but look at that verse. 
when we're kind to the poor, it's like we're lending to the Lord. That's about as good as a, a borrowing agreement as you could ever have. God takes care of his people. He is the good shepherd. And you know one of the ways that he takes care of his people? is through other people like you and me. So when we see people that are in need, let's not turn a blind eye. In our devotion to the Lord, let's let him use our resources for his glory. So are there some people out there that you might be able to help? Okay, six things. We just walked through them. Let's change gears a little bit here. Because these six things that I just walked through, for, for most of you, especially those of you who have been here at Cornerstone for a while, these aren't new to you. We've, we've talked about our core values a lot here. And for others of you who are new, you know these things. If you've, if you've studied the Bible at all, you know these things. But my point in walking you through these things wasn't so much to give you new information. A lot of this information is stuff you've heard before. My point in walking you through these things is to challenge you. So here's my challenge as we finish up the sermon. Are you fully devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you fully devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ? Again, we go back to the Michael Phelps analogy. If you were to watch him during his season of intense training, you would see it all over his actions. Everything about him pretty much screams devotion to swimming. What about us? Is your devotion to Jesus Christ as Lord showing in the way that you live your life? I have two parts of this challenge for you. So the challenge is the question, are you fully devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ? First part here, just be honest. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. What is your level of devotion to God right now? Some of you might want to think of it like on a scale from 1 to 10, where 1 is, yeah, I said I gave my life to Jesus, but... It doesn't look like it. I'm not living the way that I should. And in that sense, I suppose zero would be the person who hasn't yet given their life to Jesus. And if that's you, just do that right now. Receive him as Savior and Lord right now. Tell him in your heart that you, you know you need forgiveness and you know that he's the Lord and give your life to him. On the scale of 10 would be somebody who's saying, yep, I gave my life to Jesus Lord and it's going really well. Everybody knows it. I'm walking with Jesus. It's good. There's probably... Not a, one of us in here who would put 10 down on our, on our list. But where are you at? On that scale, how is your devotion to God? Are you fully devoted to Jesus Christ? And then the second challenge that I have for you is, is more practical as we think about moving into this summer. What will your devotion to God look like this summer? Again, things at Cornerstone kind of change. We kind of roll with the seasons here a little bit. And, and some of our ministries close for the summer and we'll start them up again in the fall. We are going to have other things that we're going to offer. In fact, as a leadership team, we were talking about that. What do we want to offer this summer for people to grow in their faith? And one of the things that we talked about is that we would like to see our fellowship grow, our, our, our unity, our togetherness grow. So one of the things that we talked about was having, you could almost call it an official sort of program that we do, in which we encourage you all to get together uh, whether it's in your homes or whether it's going to an event together. But we want to encourage fellowship this summer. So keep your ears open for what we're going to do. We're going to ask you all to be involved in this, to sign up for it. And, and those who sign up for it, we're going to kind of coordinate it so that you can get together with each other and that we can live out these six things that we just saw in Acts 2, that we can live them out together in fellowship. So that, that's kind of our summer emphasis. We want to show our devotion to the Lord by being devoted to each other in brotherly love. So again, keep your ears open for how we're going to help facilitate that. And, and as we get together, we want, to, we want to be praying together and looking at God's word together and just encouraging each other. 
And, and maybe not every time we get together. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be a Bible study per se. Uh, it, it might just be getting together and, and having food. But maybe the person who hosts then says, hey, here's a Bible verse that's been really important to me. And, and as we do that sort of thing, we encourage each other. And that's the sort of thing that you guys can do without an, an official church program, by the way. That's the thing I want to encourage you to be doing. As we do our life together, we think about all these things that we want to be devoted to, and we encourage each other in them. So as you, you see somebody in Walmart, you might say to them, hey, what's something I can pray for you about? As you get together to watch a movie, maybe you say, hey, what have you been reading in Scripture? Has there been anything that's encouraged you lately? So that, that's one thing that we're going to be doing this summer, is to kind of try to spur each other on to have that kind of fellowship, that kind of fellowship, what it looked like in Acts 2, where they just they shone so brightly because they enjoyed... God and they enjoyed each other. But of course, we don't just want our devotion to God to be a church program. We want it to spring from hearts that are eager to know God, to grow in our faith, to meet with Him, to serve Him, to proclaim the gospel. So think about your summer. And even just outside of the, the church program type stuff, how can you show your devotion to Jesus Christ this summer? In worship. That 100% of your life devoted to him. And that overflows in specific times of worship. How can you do that this summer? Or as you think about prayer and God's word, how can you weave those things into the course of your schedule? You'll know better than I will how to do that in your life. But how, how can you be devoted to God by being devoted to prayer and to God's word? Or as we think about service and evangelism. Sometimes I think of those two together because we just keep our eyes open. And if we see a need, we help with it. And if we see somebody who doesn't know Jesus, we, we pray and we see if God would use us to, to give the words of the gospel to them. And what I've found with evangelism is the people who usually share the gospel are the people who are thinking about the gospel and the people who are thinking about the people around them. So let's be those people. Let's see the people around us this summer and see the opportunities that God would give us. Let's serve, let's share the gospel. And then how can we be devoted to fellowship, to doing all this stuff together with our brothers and sisters in Christ? Now, I don't know how to answer all of those questions for you about your summer. I don't even know how to answer those questions about my summer yet. But I do know that it starts in our hearts. It starts in hearts that are fully devoted to Jesus Christ, to knowing Him as Lord, and to continuing to walk around with Him as Lord. Sometimes we might think that we're too busy for that sort of thing. Does, it, does that thought ever pop in your mind? Oh, I'm too busy to do the stuff that I know that I should be doing in my walk with God. Well, let me say it this way: We make time for what's important in life. Sometimes I, I get it. There's a season in life in which you're busier than you want to be. But as a general rule of thumb. We make time for what's important. And if we're not doing the things that we think are important, the problem probably isn't how much time we have to do them. The problem is how important we really think it is. So where's your heart at in this? Your devotion to Jesus Christ, to walking with him as Lord. What could be more important than that? And I'll just close with my big idea again. Jesus is Lord. We should be fully devoted to him. Do you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus Christ our Lord. And Jesus, we thank you for dying for our sins and rising again victoriously that all who believe in you might have life. 
We thank you for the Holy Spirit who fills us. We, God, I, I'm just so thankful that as we read that powerful section of what the Holy Spirit did some 2,000 years ago, praise you that it's the same Holy Spirit who lives in us now. And God, we, we pray to be filled again, to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit, that you would lead us in whatever way you want and that we would follow. God, we pray that we would be people who are committed to worshiping you with our whole lives, committed to praising you. We pray that we would be people who meet with you in prayer and in your word. God, thank you that we can talk to you and hear from you. Help us to be committed, devoted to those things. And God, we pray that we would be committed to doing that together in Christian fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for the believers around us. I pray that we would spur each other on and encourage each other and all the more as we see the day approaching and that we would each be committed to doing our part in that. And God, we pray that you would help us to see the service and the evangelism opportunities that you give to us. Help us not to turn a blind eye to them, but help us to engage in those in the power of the Holy Spirit, loving people and proclaiming your gospel. And God, I pray that all of this would spring from hearts that are fully devoted to you. Thank you for your commitment, your devotion to us, we pray that we would walk with you with wholehearted devotion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.